Hi. Uh, good, uh, good evening, and welcome to Daily Cafefi on Unsafe Space. Today is Wednesday, November 27th, and this is Carrie. I'm being joined not by Carter today. It's uh, Thanksgiving week, and Carter is traveling today, and um, he said it's your time to try and do one by yourself. And so I called in some backup. And so this is Carrie, joined today by my friend Kyle. Hello, Kyle. How are Hi, you? Carrie. I'm wonderful. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, I'm happy to talk to you. Um, so you have just for anybody who's listening or watching, you are an author. I haven't, I just, you guys, Kyle is one of my new friends. He's an author um, who's written a book called The Revenge of the Chupacabra. Is that right? Revenge of the Chupacabra. And you guys can find out more about the, uh, about his book and his writing at kyleabernathy.com. That's Abernathy with an I E. Did I get that right? Yes. A Y L E A B E R N A T H I E.com. Give you a synopsis and links to the Amazon uh, for the ebook and paperback. Very cool. So I, we were kind of talking about this a little bit beforehand. Uh, I don't really think of our podcast as a, I don't really think of unsafe space as a political podcast. I'll, I think of it more of a cultural as a cultural one, but we do talk about politics necessarily because politics is a part of culture. And when I met you, we have a, a mutual friend who introduced us, who basically was like, you've got to meet Kyle. He's the smartest person I know. And I'm really excited to see what you guys talk about because he's progressive. And so do you identify that way? He, he, he called you progressive. Would you say that you identify that well, way? like I was mentioning just a while ago before we went on, uh, it, it's hard for me to say for sure. I mean, because the term progressive now uh, in the last year or two is starting to be co-opted by, by people that are wanting to make it something that they can use to you know, leverage political power and influence. So, uh, when you if you say progressive, as in, um, you know, uh, wanting to concerned with more of a class struggle, uh, uh, economic things, um, you know, resisting neoliberal attitudes, um, as opposed to a lot of the things you talk about. I mean, progressivism nowadays. A lot of people are including all of the, you know, the, the cultural and social issues that tend to divide people automatically, which is what, what I think the, you know, neoliberal causes are, they delight in that. They need things to divide people and, and cultural issues, whether it's gender, race, anything else, like all of those are going to be divisive issues and pull people one way or the other. So if it's the Democratic Party using the term progressive and including all those cultural, you know, uh, points that people get so upset about and want to argue about that, that sort of distracts from the class struggle angle of progressivism, which I think, you know, Bernie Sanders and Tulsi Gabbard are, are both wanting to focus on the resist, the resisting the neoliberal uh, movement as opposed to, letting the cultural issues divide, you know, they, they address those, they address those, uh, um, but they don't want to spend most of their time talking about that. I so I will, the thing, the, the thing, they, want, they want to talk about the things that I would say they, they are more interested in talking about the things that unite us 
the problems that we all have? Or most Absolutely. Have? And, and common issues that even, you know, conservatives, Republicans, libertarians uh, can agree on as uh, such as non-interventionism or, or just mainly staying out, getting out of regime change wars and staying out of them. And um, yeah. So I think sometimes we try to, um, because words like this, as you pointed out, progressive can have such a different meaning. And so you could be talking about something and you could use the word progressive and the person who's hearing it could, could have in their mind something completely different. And so we, we uh, think it's important to define terms when we can. So we understand what we're very clear about what we mean. And in particular, uh, Carter, my co-host and I, in the past, I've, uh, pointed out to him before that I, I think on the podcast, I most often call them real progressives, people like yourself, like no actual progressives. And he's asking me, what does that mean? And so I've tried to explain the difference. And I mean, I think of someone like comedian Jimmy Dore, who I know you're also a fan of his. Jimmy Dore, I think is a real, what I would call a real progressive. Dennis Kucinich, real progressive. What would you, how would you define the term progressive for you? How, what does it mean when you use it? Or what, you know, as, and what does neoliberal mean? Because I know you also were talking about how you shared an article recently about uh, neoliberalism and that people didn't see, most of the people responding didn't seem like they knew what the term meant. That's right. Well, most people, when they just hear the, the, the word liberal in, in there, they automatically, their mind goes to Democratic Party uh, instead of, I mean, neoliberalism and neoconservatism have a lot in common, and they both include um, exerting our military power in other nations uh, for con control of oil, control of, you know, just political control in general. And uh, so neoliberalism is more um, of a, a worldwide issue. Now, progressivism in the United States, um, when I use that term, in a, 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 a concerning the politics of the United States, I'm thinking about, you know, Medicare for all and uh, educational support from the, you know, from from taxes, and uh, it's more of a, almost um, using uh, just expanding. I mean, we live in. A, I had a discussion on Facebook the other day with someone about he, he identifies as a conservative person and and about uh, he was very anti-socialism, the word socialism. And I was just trying to explain that we do live in a democratic socialist society now as far as, you know, everywhere our tax, taxes go, to the military, to the roads, schools, libraries, trash collection, everything. So uh, adding Medicare for all and maybe uh, uh, free college, things like that for um those are just expanding what we already have, which is a democratic socialist society. Uh, democratic socialists meaning that, you know, private businesses still exist, um, but they're not, those private businesses are not subsidized by the government. You know, the government subsidizes public works, things that uh, concern us all, our health, our roads, our schools. Um, so neoliberalism, when I when I use that term or when I'm discussing that, I'm thinking more on a global global scale as far as uh, the IMF, the World Bank, and the Federal Reserve, the way they 
um, control the economic the economics of the world that affect us all. Um, and so when, when I think when, of, when I, go ahead. Well, but progressivism in the United States, I think more of basically what, you know, what Bernie Sanders is trying to, to do is just get people covered, on, uh, you know, with health insurance um, through, the, through the government, like Medicare, like Medicare works, but just making it for everybody. Now, the discussion about details about that, that's, yeah, you're going, uh, that's a uh, big subject. I don't know if you want to go, go into that well, area. Well, and progressivism, now that's something I know my co-host, Carter, who's not here, would definitely, is opposed to, but uh, I think something he would, and, and he's more of a, a uh, anarcho-capitalist libertarian, if I'm getting that right. But he, um, something that I think he has in common with, which I was saying, we talked about this once before, with progressives, he's he, something he shares in common with progressives is that I also think of progressives as naturally anti-war, anti-interventionist. Yes. yes. And so. Yes, and, and that's what that's what I'm saying. The DNC, the Democratic Party right now, is trying to co-opt the term progressive to take power away from it, so that they can use it to. In- all the social issues that divide, the, the, the things that y'all talked about, the social and cultural issues of gender, race, things like that, as opposed to a class struggle, which is the way I think Bernie sees it more uh, as a class struggle. Um, and, and so, uh, and do you think that the Democratic Party is more, because I, okay, so if I think of a neoliberal, I think of um, Hillary Clinton. That's right. Well, neoliberal on is you know, people that, that uh, support, take money from corporations, from uh, military contractors, big pharma, oil, uh, that's, that's neoliberal. That, that is a way to keep the power and the money flowing upwards and doesn't have much to do with taking care of the bulk of the general populace. And so they may pay lip service to that, uh, but uh, it's, you know, the money and power stay in the hands of a few who already have it. And now we're talking also about communications companies, Facebook, Twitter, Google, uh, people that control the information. That's neoliberalism too. So do you think the people that I call like um, actual progressives, people like yourself uh, do you think that at the people who are who are progressive are aware of some of the censorship issues that are going on that we talk a lot about on the on unsafe space that because I, I i don't think li- people that call themselves lib quote liberals um a lot of those people i think have have been pulled and i was pulled into supporting things that were that were censorious like these these poli- or pulled into culturally supporting censorship i'll put it that way if not legally but culturally saying yes we should ban these people and ban these people and ban these opinions and um well that that's 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 why i was saying that the term progressive is now getting very murky because there are people that are now using i think using the term progressive to identify themselves who are for censorship for degrees of censorship which as you and I spoke about the other night is that's, that's going down a really terrible rabbit hole. I mean, uh, censorship is censorship. Uh, 
um, if you if you remove if you make it forbidden to discuss certain subjects that's censorship censorship and that's just a, that's dangerous i mean the you and i both we we say liberal like this now liberals with the with the bunny ears because the term liberal means open and it means inclusive everything goes as long as nobody gets hurt and there's no personal property damage you know <laughs> um and and liberal nowadays people that identify as liberal are literally wanting to shut speech down and that's oh that's very scary to me that's uh, one of my friends, Mike Harlow. I don't know if you've seen him. He's been on our show before, but uh, he's he's gay, and he talks a lot about how, you know, the gay community was known in the '70s and '80s for pushing the boundaries, and you know, for being punk rock and radical, and like you said, liberalism is this idea that anything goes as long as you're not hurting someone else. And now he's like, now the LGBTQ movement is all about, you know. It's the opposite. It's it's about banning things and censoring people and protecting and and he said that's not what that's not what I grew up, you know, seeing the gay movement as. It's like well, it's it's the worst kind of irony because I mean it's 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 illiberal. It's not liberal. It's it's um, it's very it seems very conservative to me. Uh, but they you know you try to call someone who has those thoughts conservative and they'll they'll freak out. Well, they, okay, they so what do you think is behind, speaking of calling them conservative, this is, this is something I just saw. I was watching um, a video at the, I was watching a video the other day. I think it might have been a Tim Pool video. Uh, yeah, it was. He was talking about um, the Washington Post just ran a, a story, call, and, the, and then the headliner, it was, oh, Barack Obama is a conservative. And then he highlighted a couple of other mainstream, like legacy media pieces with, that, kind of came out around the same time that are criticizing Obama as a conservative. And I, th I think they're doing this because he's recently started talking, criticizing this sort of SJW um, authoritarian leftist kind of culture. He's, he started calling out, call out culture. He, um, you know, was saying if all you're doing is calling people names and mobbing people, you know, you're not, you're not going to get very far. And uh, he's sort of been cautioning against going too far left. And by left, I don't think he means don't go to the progressive area. I think he means enough with this uh, div divisive, like this divisive identity politics, um, cultural leftism. And so uh, did you, did you see those articles and what do you think about that characterization of him as a conservative? Well, I, I did see, uh, I read a, the Washington post article and I've seen, some of his, um, I guess, press conferences or uh, where he's been talking like that. And I, I wonder about his motives. I mean, of course, a lot of people are wondering, wondering what his motives are right now and, you know, who he's going to endorse in the long run. He's not endorsing Joe Biden. It's, it's pretty clear at this point. Um, it, he, Obama, this is someone who I voted for twice. I've been a lifelong Democrat. Uh, voted for Obama twice and was deeply dis deeply disappointed in his what he did as president. Um, most most the most disappointing things were the increases in the wars 
uh, drone bombing. And, you know, he, I mean, he, he got in office as a peacemaker. They gave him the peace prize, the Nobel Peace Prize. And then he increased our wars from two to seven wars, you know, and increased bombings, uh, the support of the Saudis bombing Yemen. And uh, Kyle, those and, are hate facts. <laughs> and took, uh, and they, you know, they, I mean, the CIA and the U.S. pretty much organized the overthrow of Gaddafi in Libya. And that ended up being a mess now. And they tried the same thing in Syria. Still working on that one. So I consider him, Obama now, is clearly to me uh, on the neoliberal side. And um, so his motivation for, for pushing back on the, div the divisiveness of the cultural issues you're talking about, I'm, I have a suspicion that what he's trying to do is to not let people like me wander too far, and, and you, wander too far astray from the Democratic Party so that, uh, well, honestly, maybe people right. like straight males are not completely alienated from the Democratic Party so that we are willing to vote on a Democratic ticket in the general election. That's my, that's, that's my opinion of why he's doing that. This is interesting. Because there, this is making me read a conversation that we had previously on the podcast it, I think it was on a live Kefefe, um where we were talking about how he had, he had spoken out against call out culture and Carter and I got into a little bit of an argument because he was sort of questioning his motives and, and which I agree with. I, I do wonder why he's doing this as well, but uh, my, I think I was feeling kind of emotional in that episode because I, from my point of view, then I was thinking, well, why it doesn't matter why he's doing it. I'm glad that someone on the left is cautioning against this and, and we should be as someone who I still consider myself liberal, although I'm probably very personally conservative on some things now, but, um, but I'm happy. I like to see people on the left talking about how call out culture is wrong, you know? And so I felt I, I was kind of a, argumentative with Carter about it, but now you're helping me to see it in a different light, which is, yeah, maybe I think, I think you're right. I think he's looking realistically at the upcoming election and he's sort of saying, Hey guys, um, I think we might be missing the boat again. Like I think we might be losing a lot of people because they seem, most of the people running seem in denial about it. Well, it's, I, I would like to think, I would, I would like to think that he was saying those things, because he, he really meant them and he, it really concerned him that that was dividing people. But um, my, you know, in the last, I've gotten so much more cynical in the last two or three years since, yeah, since, me too. since the Democratic Party handled that campaign like they, like they did. Um, that, I mean, what and of course, uh, uh, people, what do you mean? How they, when you say handled it like they did, are you talking about they, they, they rigged rigged the primaries and yeah uh installed a, a neoliberal corporatist uh as the nominee instead of someone who could have like uh, could have united a a populist move behind the democratic party where populist movements should be workers movements instead of having letting trump um have the 
populist movement coalesce behind him yeah. using his, using the you know what I consider harmful methods uh, uh, sparking xenophobia and things like that uh, so but Obama has got to I mean certainly certainly aware of how much of an influencer he is and how much his words hold um, power with everyone in the DNC and especially I mean you can't win the DNC cannot win a, an election without the black support so that's got to be a consideration too so I, I would like I said I would love to think that he's he actually feels those things as as far as feels the regret that those issues divide people but I can't I can't not also realize that he's He's trying to influence people by keeping them in the party or keeping them at least willing to vote on on election day. To pull that lever, yeah. That's interesting. Um, well, so did you – I was a Bernie voter. Were you? Yes. Yeah. Except, well, except when they screwed him over, I did not vote for Hillary. I, I voted for Jill Stein. I wrote Jill Stein. voted for Jill Stein, yep. Well, I, we're pretty similar then because I, um, I voted for Bernie and then I was conflicted. I was going through this change cause I was a committed, what I call SJW for a long time. I preached all these new definitions of terms. You know, I, I, I was like an evangelist for the ideology and <clears throat> I was undergoing this change in the way I looked at the world and the way I looked at that, what I thought was progressivism. Like you're saying, the way it gets misused, I thought I was simply a progressive and a liberal. And when I started to look at it differently and realize, wow, I've I've become a mouthpiece for censorship. I've become a mouthpiece for racism and sexism and, and in the name of ending those things. And so I was undergoing this change in thought and I voted for Bernie. And then um, because partially because of what happened with the, like you said, I also felt like, I can't believe we're just going to let this coup happen. We're just going to let them take it, like give it to Clinton, essentially. Uh, partially because of that, but partially because of the change I was undergoing. There was something in my gut that kept telling me I couldn't vote for Clinton. Even though I've, I fell into, I was, I was believing all of the uh, catastrophization that was happening, like the sky is going to fall, chicken little, if Trump gets elected, you know. So I really believe that. And I would kind of go back and forth between, I need to vote for Clinton. I can't vote for her. I guess I'm going to vote for Stein. I need to vote for Clinton. I can't vote for her. And so I would flip flop. And then I ultimately decided to vote Stein, but I, as an indicator of how little I cared, um, I had just moved to Texas and I didn't return my absentee ballot in time to California. So I didn't, it's the first time I didn't vote for president. Well, I, I thought I was going, I was not going to vote for the first time in my life since I've turned 18, I was wow. going to stay, stay yeah. away from the ballot box. But at the last minute, I just said, you know, I just can't do that. And I, I, I want my voice to be heard. It'll just make me feel better that mm -hmm. um, I cast a vote. So, uh, but, you know, it's not just the things that they did to Bernie. Uh, like most Bernie supporters, I was, I was pretty disappointed that he let that happen and just sort of, you know, tried to stay cool with the Democratic Party by throwing his support behind Hillary. That disappointed so many people, me included. Uh, but then what the Democratic Party did after the election to explain why they lost, that just 
further pissed me off. And, and it was infuriating. Oh, it's, and it's still, I mean, it's still going full force. And it's, uh, it may, it leaves me pretty much without a party because I'm, I'm not a conservative Republican. I'm, and I just don't know this Democratic Party. I don't know what happened to the Democratic Party that I thought was supposed to be that truly looked after people that had more difficulties in life and workers that were losing their jobs or being exploited by, by their employers. And that's not what it turned into. And so I really feel like I'm without a party. I did not dim exit because in Texas there's no point. And I still <laughs> want to be able to vote in the democratic primary. Um, so I'm, I'm still a registered Democrat, but I sure don't feel connected to what's going on in the, in the party right now. Uh, like, like you, uh, you and I, when we first met, one of the things we connected on was, uh, admiration of Tulsi Gabbard and that's her candidacy is pretty much the only thing keeping me involved in caring what the democratic party does at all at this point. You know, what's amazing about that too is, um, I still have a foot in the SJW world and in that I still am friends with some people who um, I would say full wholeheartedly subscribe to that belief system that I used to subscribe to. And then also I still, I just want to, I still follow a lot of people in that world and a lot of um, people I used to work with or, you know, uh, entertainers who are in that world. And, and so I, I look, sometimes I, the way they talk about Tulsi, it's, it's kind of, I, I guess nothing should shock me at this point, but it's, it's sort of shocking because they talk about her in the same way they talk about Trump. It's this weird, like um, they've turned her into some kind of demagogue in their minds and they talk about her like she's a white nationalist and uh, like she's a religious nut and like she's a puppet of the Russians. I mean, I hear the craziest stuff coming out of the mouths of Democrats, but Democrats who are SJW, who support neoliberals. Well, that should tell, that should give you a big clue. That should be a big hint that if they're doing, if the democratic party is doing that to her, someone who is against wars and who supports Medicare for all and all sort of democratic socialist policies, if they're trying to smear her by whatever means, whether it's, you know, her, her, you know, her, her beliefs on, on uh, gay rights as a, as a youth, because she was raised in a conservative family. She has long since uh, explained that away, but um, it's her being against the, I think the main reason she's being smeared, especially with the Russian angle is that she is a threat to the military industrial complex. Yep. And one of the reasons I think she would be such a, a perfect candidate for the democratic party is because I don't think, and also to pull voters from the conservative and libertarian end is that who is going to listen to somebody saying we need to get out of these wars. Who's going to listen to someone who's not in the military. I mean, she's in the military and saying we need to reduce our empirical footprint in the world. Um, now I haven't heard her talk about closing bases or anything like that. And honestly, she doesn't talk enough about the military budget for my taste, but I do think that is why she's being smeared, especially as a, you know, Putin puppet or, or whatever they call her is because, 
because she's the only candidate who is talking about ending regime change wars and criticizing the actions of Obama and Hillary Clinton. I mean, Hillary Clinton was Secretary of State and in the war room, we all saw the video where they were, you know, watching, watching them get Gaddafi and, and kill Gaddafi in the streets and everything. That's, that's what America did. America supported that. And now Libya is in a super bad mess, way worse than when Gaddafi was in power. So, so yeah, she's, she's, that's why they're smearing her. Now they use different ways to smear her, but when they, when they use the Russian angle, I think that's your evidence that, that the DNC, that the democratic party has been co-opted by neoliberal uh, politicians. I mean, it's been in, in the control of neoliberal politicians since, since, you know, uh, Bill Clinton was president. That's when it started. I think they're, I think they're, um, it's interesting because I think the neoliberals have almost adopted SJW ideology because they see it as a means to retain power. Absolutely. That's what I was trying to say clumsily yeah. before is that they're using that. They have co-opted that to, to use to, um, well, it's, it's to keep people arguing so that they're not paying attention to the big money issues and the military, the, the American empire in the world, things like that. Yeah. I have a friend. Oh gosh. I would love to introduce you to this guy. He has a theory. Uh, he was a big part of Occupy, the Occupy movement, Occupy Wall Street. Um, uh -huh. I was, I was down there uh, at Occupy as well. I was at the time working on a progressive comedy documentary and we were shooting some stuff down there. I've always wanted to ask you if you if you had gone to that. To yeah, that we have a bunch of footage somewhere. We we ended up um, scrapping that project, but we had a we shot a lot of stuff there. And uh, but I have this friend who was a big part of it, and he has a theory that he was saying, you know, Occupy was making progress, and it was in the news, and people were paying attention, and it was becoming a, a cultural flashpoint, and then all of a sudden he said from within, and now he has a much more insider perspective on Occupy than I do. He said from the inside, it just seemed like overnight that this intersectionality identity politics stuff just crept in and killed the whole movement. Because instead of it being suddenly about class and about, you know, we're all united in this, this, in this struggle against the elite, however you want to view it against the banks, you know, if we're here to talk about all of a sudden it became about, who's more oppressed in terms of identity groups within the, within Occupy and the whole thing fell apart. Absolutely. And that's why I don't feel so much a part of that. Like I don't understand. Well, I know why the democratic party is, is using that. Um, it's, it's the, when I say neoliberal and neoconservative are, are connected, they're connected through the, um, the desire for the United States to exert military power in the world. Uh, the, the Democratic Party supports wars now. Uh, they're actually even, you know, goading Trump into into taking military action sometimes when he doesn't want to. And I think, of course, his 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 uh, generals uh, convince him that that's necessary too. Yeah. But yeah, uh, in the Wall Street, I saw that in the Occupy Wall Street movement. I I saw it start then too, I, when it became about identity politics, that's definitely going to keep the left and the right at, 
at complete odds, just on principle, even even uh, in uh, certain areas of it where they they could agree. It's just it's used as a tool to keep them at odds, so that you know the Republican Party gets the votes that they know they're going to get, and the Democratic Party gets the votes that they know they're going to get because those issues split left and right. So just for, in case there's anyone new watching, um, and we, I was talking about defining terms earlier, I want to define that the term identity politics because I'm reminded of a conversation I had with a, a liberal friend who, um, when she hears that, I, she, or political correctness, when she hears either of those terms, she hears something very different than what I mean or when I say it. And so um, when I, like, for example, I believe, and I'm sure you do as progressive, that uh, racism is wrong, sexism is wrong, homophobia is wrong, any type of bigotry is wrong. And uh, I believe in, you know, you don't sweep that stuff under the rug, you address it and you root it out and if, if you encounter it. But that's not, to me, that's not what identity politics is. Identity politics is, um, if I were to define it, it's, uh, it's it it opposes rooting out it's the opposite of rooting out racism and sexism it's actually codifying it and it's 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 turning into something permanent within a movement um because it's it's saying that you will never like a common refrain in the sjw ideology is that um to say that you're colorblind is insulting now. You know, it used to be something that you would say, you would aim towards being, quote, colorblind, meaning when you say that, it clearly doesn't mean that you can't see what race someone is. It just means that you don't treat them differently because of their race. Well, now in the SUW ideology, they say that that's wrong because we don't live in a colorblind world, therefore you can't be colorblind. We have to look at race. And so it's it's a way of saying, instead of instead of rooting out and getting rid of racism and sexism, it identity politics is a way of saying these things are infinitely important and they're always going to be important and we have to lump people into identity groups and judge them based on those groups and treat them differently because that's the way we stop that from happening and it's like that doesn't make any sense <laughs> well when you and i first met we spoke about how those those issues race gender all, all the things that where where there's where someone is not being treated equally that, that, that those things you and i i don't know how you were raised exactly but I was raised to always believe there should be equality amongst all people that, that you should never treat someone poorly for any reason. I mean, and so that, that was always just a given to me. Like when the term woke started being used, it was very frustrating to me because the people that were um, either referring to themselves or other people as, as woke and, um, and that, that I was like, is this a new concept to you? I mean, that people should be treated equally and everyone right. deserves, the, deserves the right to, to the same everything, uh, the same opportunities, the same pay for the same work. Um, uh, uh, the, virtues, the virtue signaling aspect of it was very frustrating because I, I was like, what, what were you thinking before? Are you people that are considering yourselves woke now what, what were you thinking before? Does that mean you were sexist, racist, and being bullies to people that weren't like you before? I mean, to me, it's, it should be a starting point. And um, like you said a while ago, you said it very well, when you, when you see these bad things, 
then you should speak out against them. But with the identity politics and PC, whatever you want to call it, virtue signaling, it's, it, it's kind of a guilty until proven innocent thing. It's instead of waiting to, like if you, waiting to hear something that's, that's blatantly sexist or racist, they're assuming that you're going to be sexist or racist before you even speak. Yes. And, and so there's, they're, they're seeking it out instead of calling it out when they see it. They're seeking it out and they're assuming, and let's be honest, if you're a um, straight white male, I have noticed a big change in the last few years. You're automatically assumed to be all those things, sexist, racist. They make a um, lot of judgments about you. Judge before you open your mouth. Yeah. It's, that's which, is, why which, is, which is what they're fighting against, like, like looking at a person of another race and judging them because of the, you know, the, the accident of their birth, like, you know, um, immutable characteristics. Like, yeah, yeah, I can't help it. I was born straight white male. Yeah. It, that's why I find it so hypocritical on this side of it. Now that I'm out of it, I can't believe I ever bought into it, but I did. I bought into it and it, and they get you, they get people to, they, it's almost like they manipulate your desire to do good. And it's, it's hard to explain It's It's also a, a, a thing that happens by degrees because I didn't, I didn't just jump into it wholeheartedly. They get you to accept one tenant and then you start to accept another. And then, um, the way the one of the most important parts of it in, in terms of getting people to go out and behave this way, getting people to go out and make judgments and assumptions um, based on race and sex and sexuality, they get you to do it by getting you to accept these new definitions they've created, which are ridiculous to say that you can't be um, that it's impossible to be sexist towards men or something, you know, or impossible to be racist towards one particular, those things don't actually make any sense. But once you've accepted those things, then you're like, aha, it's like they give you this little out um, so that you can now go out and, and push this thing without obviously realizing how hypocritical it is. Um, You know, that expression when all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Exactly. That's, I was actually just thinking about that. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what, cause they teach you to look, you're looking, um, it's almost like when I was in it, you have these glasses and they're, you're wearing these glasses all day and they're your sexism, racism, homophobia glasses. And everything you're looking at is like, you're just scanning for it and you're seeing it in places where it's not even there. You're automatically assuming that everything is going to be tinted mm-hmm. in this way. And there are better glasses to wear, I think. There are more accurate glasses you could wear <laughs> in well, interpreting the world. I don't know whether to think of it as irony or hypocrisy, that idea that that your your wokeness literally makes you more biased and yeah. prejudiced. It's crazy. Um, <laughs> and also the, the term woke also drives me nuts because inevitably most of the people that I hear using the term woke and referring and, and virtue signaling are thinking exclusively about those cultural issues, the, the dividers, the race, gender, etc. instead of re- being really woke and seeing the big picture that it's about class struggle. It's about, you know, the 99% versus the 1%. Um, that is what I wish people were woke to is that the, the people in power, the people 
with the most money and power and influence, they love virtue signaling and they love PC and, and, and they want censorship. I mean, they don't want people talking about the reality of the world economic situation, neoliberalism. You, you just reminded me of, so we just, in, we have a book club, as you know, Unsafe Space Book Club. We just finished reading The Coddling of the American Mind by uh, Jonathan Haidt and uh, Greg Lukianoff. Lukianoff? Yes, I've not read that. Well, there's a great part in it, and I'm going to mangle it because I don't have it in front of me, but he's talking about the identity politics of inclusion and like a, a shared, a common humanity and he gave an example. He was like, this is the type of identity politics that Martin Luther King employed, where you are talking about identity, but a very inclusive big tent identity. And you get change happens because you talk about we and us and how, what all the things that we have in common. And you, and it's all about highlight, like grouping us all together under a shared humanity. And then he, he contrasted that to, they contrasted that to, this identity politics of exclusion, which is what SJW ideology is, where it's not about talking about identity as this, what, what are the things that unite us, right? It's, it's about identity as these little tiny, ever, uh, like an infinite number of identity groups that you can belong to, to, to whittle yourself up. Intersectionality, when you get down to it, it the funny part about it is that it's so exclusive that if, if it is allowed to play out without them interfering, I think Jordan Peterson has said this before at the, at the core of it, you would, you would eventually get back to individualism. <laughs> like you would have yeah. to, <laughs> yeah. but, but it is about, um, it's not there yet. They, they're collectivists, but, but it is all about like, you're not in this, this group and we, this group is about this group. You know, they're starting to do, um, on college campuses now, I've seen this is this is wild to me where they're having spaces that are, you know, no whites allowed in this this space or no men allowed or no. Now, there are certain places where I think that's a positive thing and it, it's community building. But there are other places where I think, um, you know, depending on the context, it's there's nothing positive that can come of being exclusionary in some of those contexts. It's like, um, you know, it's almost, it's, it's such a weird thing that we've gone through as a nation, gone through desegregation. And now we're coming like, almost, I feel like wokeness is taking us full circle back to like, let's all split apart again. <laughs> like, and isn't it ironic? Don't you think? <laughs> too ironic. Yeah, I really do think. Yeah, you're right. It might be more irony than hypocrisy. <laughs> well, um, yeah, yeah. This is so frustrating. I love talking about this with you, but it's so It can be frustrating. frustrating. That's why we try to laugh about it a lot. <laughs> um, well, okay. So Kyle, I, uh, I want to wrap it up because we um, have to, it's kind of late and I got to, I told, I told Kyle guys before we started, he unfortunately is dealing with the most technologically challenged part of unsafe space. That's me. Uh, but I have to I have to compress this video or something and get it to Carter so we can get it up before it's too late tonight so um i really appreciate talking to you maybe we can have you on sometime with me and carter and do i would love a format. i would i would really love that thanks for having me on yeah thanks for coming this, i guess this is my first uh a webcast oh awesome well maybe yeah. we can do a live one sometime because those are fun too because then we get cool questions from people in the chat and we have like a, a really i'm really grateful for the audience we've 
been building because there's a lot of people have a lot of fun feedback. So when we have chat, there's always like fun things going on too. Um, well, I, I've been enjoying your show on YouTube and, and I hope to I'd be happy to meet Carter sometime. Awesome. And just remind people again, where can they find information on your book? My book is called Revenge of the Chupacabra. It's a fun, campy monster story that is really an allegorical tale about the media, about journalism and what is real, what is fake. This was released before the election, a few months before the 2016 election. But uh, Revenge of the Chupacabra, available on Amazon, paperback and ebook. You can read a synopsis on my website, kyleabernathy.com. Abernathy with an I-E instead of a Y. Thank you, there Kyle. You Have a good night. Maybe I'll you see too. you later. You too. Thanks, Carrie. Cool. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.